the only man that's got the same move with every club. I'm the only golfer with the feeling of greatness. I'm the only golfer living. It's got the master move and the feeling of greatness. So let me just open this up. So, hey, I'm super excited today. I have a very special guest who um, many of you already know if you're in the world of Mo Norman. But I have spent a lot of time with this gentleman. His name is Tim O'Connor. And Tim is the author of, I think, the greatest book ever written about Mo. Other people have written books about Mo, but nothing compares to the feeling of greatness. And I think it's well, I've had people tell me it's not just my bias. I've had people tell me it's it's the gre- greatest biography and golf book they've ever read. So, so Tim is the author of that book, and I've been a part of that book because Tim and I spent some time making sure that book was rewritten and put into its present and current form. So, and also Tim and I wrote a book called "A Single Pine Golf Swing: Play Better Golf the Moment Way." And I have to admit, a hundred percent that. Tim wrote that book, and I was just a part of feeding the information out there because uh, I, 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 I really could never really write a book. I can write. I just can't write a book. But Tim is a great friend of mine, and he's an expert in Mo Norman. So I, I wanted Tim to come on the show. Tim, welcome to the Feeling of Greatness podcast. I've wanted to do this for a while. Matter of fact, we had this scheduled. You know, we had, I had some, I got a little under the weather, didn't want to get on here and not be able to talk. So we're feeling better and I'm glad to have you on the show. All right. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Todd. Always, like you said, uh, man, we go back uh, 20 years, I think, you know, but uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful. This relationship that we've had uh, business and, and mostly personal through the years. And um, you know, the glue to that it was Mo. Now it's all kinds of things, but uh yeah, it's fun, man, to be flying the flag for Mo and keeping his legacy going because it's such an it's such an amazing story, Mo Norman. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, you know, um, I wanted to share this with you because yesterday I had the privilege of sitting down for two and a half hours, which actually took me four hours, and went through the rough cut of the documentary, which is titled "The Feeling of Greatness." which you've been a big part of. Um, and it was, um, it's, it was, it was bitter. It was bittersweet looking through it because, you know, God, we started this project in 2017. I hate to admit that because I didn't think it would take this long to get this thing done. Um, but in the world of documentary filmmaking, I'm kind of glad it took this long. I, I think we still got a ways to go as far as uh, obviously in the editing process. But I have I have some I was thinking about you yesterday because you're in the documentary, you know, you're you're one of the people that's interviewed and you're in there quite a few times, not that that you'll make the all the final cut, but but you say some great things in there and 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 um and you have such a great perspective on Mo because I don't know if anybody's researched Mo more than you. I and I don't know if anybody just knowing just me personally knowing you um knowing how, you know, how connected you are to people and how compassionate you are and the type of person you are, how you, I don't think there was a better person to try to, to try to talk and discuss Mo Norman than you, because I've, I've read these other books that these guys write and they always look at it from this, I don't know what you call it. I think it's maybe a perspective of, and this may sound really weird, but too much admiration or, mm. you, you know, like they come across, they come across as like, in some of the questions I want to ask you, because, because I went through this, and these may be hard questions to answer, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about it here because we don't have to talk about this with the audience very much. But 
Mo Norman was a difficult guy. I mean, he just was. I mean, you know, people say, always ask me the question, how did you get to know Mo and all this stuff? But there was obviously, I was fascinated by Mo, but he was not an easy guy to, number one, be around, get close to, and and deal with in a lot of things. Um, and the documentary kind of lays this thing out. I wanted to, hey, let me just run this through and, and I'll get your perspective on this. So what I had to do after watching this for four hours and, and people who are kind of listening to this to understand the documentary filmmaking process, which I'm an executive producer. So I'm just like, I pay for the thing. I get it funded and I let experts do the work. But then they call me in because I know so much about Mo and they said, hey, watch this. What do you think? And matter of fact, I probably I want you to do the same thing uh, is, is sit through four hours of rough cut. Rough, rough cut. <laughs> so, okay. so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna call you. I may just fly you to Florida. We may just down there and do one of our kitchen talks down there, or we just sit there oh, and watch yeah. it. Oh yeah, love that. And love we'll that. just get the we'll just get the popcorn out. But, um, <laughs> but let me run you through this. And I so after I got home, I watched you know two and a half, three hours, four hours. Took me four hours to watch the whole thing because I had a little lunch break in there. <laughs> but let me run you through the arc of the story because there's no better person for me to walk you through the arc of this story. And I'm kind of giving the teaser here for the documentary in a way, but and see what you think about it. Um, the story starts out obviously a little bit about Mo's background, but everybody knows it. Can anybody who knows Mo knows his background, but it goes into this idea that he was different and why, you know, and so one of the things that I'm trying to put into this documentary is question marks because we don't know if he was autistic or not yeah but we know he was different we don't know why he was different was it the sledding accident so there's this big question mark there so there's the first question mark so what do you, what's your take on that because i'm gonna i'm gonna run you through my question marks is what i did is i laid out the entire kind of documentary into a two-page document of, of the storyline and then i just put question marks what do you think about you know, you you would know more than anybody. What, what do you think about that? Well, um, a thing to put it in perspective for your listeners is the movie The Rain Man. When a lot of people saw that movie, whether it be people who knew of Mo Norman or his even his good friends, they go, that's Mo, the character played by Dustin Hoffman. And that was a... That was a judgment a lot of people made because it it seemed to make sense because Mo was brilliant at math. You could throw all kinds of equations at him and you'd have a number like that. He had a a photographic memory. You know, Mo could tell you golf courses he played and the par of each hole and the distance. Mm-hmm. Golf courses he hasn't played in like he hadn't played in 25, 30 years. I mean, it was crazy, but also mm-hmm. that he was in essence socially impaired. You know, he didn't, he just couldn't communicate well with people. So people came to this, well, he must be autistic on the spectrum, but I don't, I don't know that he was. I mean, some people I do. So here, okay, let me start again here, or at least provide this. Um, I asked his brothers and sisters about this, whether they thought, and they said that their understanding of autism is that there's a number of traits that show up <laughs> right from infancy. You know, the thing like you don't like, say, the sound of um, aluminum foil or, say, drapes blowing in the breeze. 
that children who are on the spectrum get freaked out by that. They said that Mo, in every way, was just a regular kid. But once he had the accident, things changed. And so where Mo was struck by the car, Mo told me, I said, you know, I asked him about it and he pointed to his forehead. Well, the the forehead is just behind that is the um, prefrontal cortex, which is known as the CEO of the brain, of your consciousness, where you make decisions that kind of thing. And so the neuroscientists that I spoke to said that they lean towards Mo's difference, if you will, being from a brain injury. Mm. And what happened was, is that Mo started to develop traits. In essence, his body, his brain adapted to the new circumstance. And thus it developed these skills that might align with people uh, who people who are on the spectrum, but the key mm-hmm. thing is, man, is that we don't know. Yeah, you know, there's That's no, the there's no autopsy this. done on Mo. And to me, at the end of the day, I don't think it effing matters. It really doesn't. Right. He was just well, a different cat. Yeah. So it's interesting though, because as you know, my my mind is just kind of into the flow of this story. Is that so? He he. He starts because of what whatever his personality traits and and you know to me I, I think you have to be you have to have this compulsive behavior to be a good golfer. I think it's part of being a good golfer. Number one, it's a solitary sport. Number two is yep. you're kind of you yourself, me myself and I. I mean, there's you know it's so in Mo is like built for that. I find myself with those traits sometimes. That's why when I was a kid, I just loved to be by myself hitting balls in a field for hours and hours and hours. And so there's this compulsive behavior to, to golf. It's, it's not like, it's not a team sport. It's a, it's a you and a golf club and a golf ball. And so, so Mo finds himself drawn to it because that's where he, number one, he's this antisocial, um, you know, got this different, he's a different character. So golf fits him perfectly. So he excels at it. And then, mm-hmm. and then to the point to me, to the point of him saying, wow, I'm, I can be good at this. Maybe I can get some, because I'm so insecure and because I don't fit in, maybe I can get some identity here. Like I can find my identity in this sport. That to me is what happens. Now, another question mark is, um, you know, he was so socially insecure, you know, did that help him or hurt him? Because it obviously helped him in a lot of ways develop these skills, which I think you almost have to have to be a great golfer. But then as he, as he tried to be an adult and survive in a world where it's more than just golf, which he didn't get that, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. get that. I, I thought I was shoot 61 and go home. I didn't think I had to say thank you. I, I um, So now, so the question mark is, did it help him more than hurt him more? You know, so that, that was my next thing. What do you think about, what do you think about that? I mean, it, what do you think about the fact that there was a lot of self-sabotage in Mo? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. it was like, we could blame the world for, you know, and look, there's plenty of stories about Mo, Mo getting kicked out of off the national team and, and all those stories about Mo, but in a way, and in, in, in his, in, in Mo was so innocent. Like, he was an innocent guy. Like that's totally. the thing you look at him. You're like, he's just so innocent. He, he's childlike. He's innocent. He doesn't get it. 
And then, but he gets penalized for stuff he really didn't know. So it's like, if you, but did he do it to himself? You know, it's just like, there's this, that was what I was so intrigued when I was watching this. The film was like, I'm looking at Mo. And, and so here's the thing about when I'm watching this film, the where it is right now, I'm watching Mo and most, you know, discussing these things. And you would almost say he's kind of normal. I mean, he's kind of normal, but I don't, we only caught him. I only caught him in the last part of his life. Like, like you would probably know more than me about when he was in Canada, 35 years old. Where, who is that Mo compared to the 64 year old Mo that I met that was kind of figuring out that he had to kind of be more social, even though he was still had some awkwardness and all that stuff. So do you think my question to you is how much self-sabotage was it? And how much was it the world just shitting on him? Well, both. How's that? Yeah. yeah that, that was that was my conclusion, but I want to hear I want to hear from you. Yeah, certainly both. I mean, <laughs> just to kind of reflect a bit generally before diving in, um, most story, it's a bittersweet one. I mean, it's there's some parts of what make it great, most stories that you know, the resilience he just kept going and going and you know it's this the little guy if you will and just and he becomes regarded as the best ball strike in the world but his story was also sad and i think part of it was is that he was so so insecure you know he just he had such an inferiority complex um but golf became this solace to him this this thing that he could dive into and feel safe and develop a sense of of mastery, whether it was conscious or not. You know, I am a golfer. Um, I don't know, and I know that Mo. When I spoke to him, when I was interviewing him, he was in his sixties, and he's kind of talking. Well, I'll show them. Could have been. I mean, one of the things I learned from dealing with whether it was Mo Norman or older golfers is they tend to believe their own stories after a while. You've probably run into that too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was like, you know, I am a golfer. I'm going to show them. But I think it just that he was, he became driven because he got so much not satis- satisfaction isn't really the right word, but just the feelings he get. That's why the feeling of greatness works. Yeah. Golf gave well, him a feeling of, of peace and security. When he had, he would say, when I have a golf stick in my hand, you know, I, that that's where I want to be. Supreme and, confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Every, like he knew that. So I just think that from that experience of struggling in that outer world, you know, with other kids, uh, young adults and, you know, being unable to converse, not knowing anything about the world around him. Mo knew golf and sports a little bit. Anything beyond that, he didn't understand it. And um, so there was just unbelievable complex of insecurity and not fitting in. But when he had the golf stick in his hand, hitting balls, that was his place. He felt, he felt, you know, that he was just in this place where he was okay. But well, the problem with that, the problem I, with I, I got something Go to talk to you because, because this is what I've been dying to talk to you about this. <laughs> I, what was I watching? I was watching, um, Oh, I, I went to a conference in Las Vegas, and there was a lot of really, really well-known guest speakers 
Mark Wahlberg, um, Dana White, Tom Brady. Wow. There was just a, it was just a list of of people, and they, it was just a sit down chat. And the questions being asked now we couldn't ask questions; we were just you know spectators. But the questions being asked were probably were very good. They were the questions I would have asked, and they were motivational questions like like what motivates you? What motivated you to look becoming a great athlete? Becoming great at anything, it's freaking hard. And we only see the successful side of it. And we see the millions of dollars these people make. We don't see them crying themselves to sleep when they're 14 years old because you know, whatever happened to them. But, but, but then we can talk to them and, and hear about this stuff. And one of the mo- most motivating factors, I was, I was taking notes because I was like, what motivates these people? Or what was the motivating factor that got them through everything? And what keeps them motivated? And I told Tracy, my wife, I said, they're fathers, but it was like um, Stephen A. Smith or um, um, there was another speaker there, Oprah's husband. And he goes, I'm Oprah, I've known as Oprah's husband. You know, he was there speaking <laughs> as well. But their fathers had told them at one point in their life, you'll amount to nothing. You're a nobody. You're you're a loser. You're stupid. Or for there was something that. That was from their father. And it wasn't always a positive motivation. It wasn't the father going, I love you. You're, you're, you're going to be successful. You're, you know, it was always the father. And they, they turned that into a, a driver. They turned that into a driver. Might happen to Mo too. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his father disapproved of his golf. So yep. maybe there was an element, maybe there was an element here of Mo seeking approval. Like, like I play golf. My dad doesn't like it, but I'm going to show him that golf, I can golf and I can be something. I'm going to show him because he was close to his father. I mean, from, from what I heard and, and from, from Sandy and some of the people that have talked about, him, he was close to his father. He, he did not dislike his father. He, but he had this kind of like, I want his approval so badly that there was that tension there. I mean, that's the way I felt about it. And you, you wrote about it. Well, the fathers, yeah, the influence of fathers. I've done a lot as I've done a lot of work with men in personal growth and emotional healing work through a group I belonged to for over, about 20 years, the Mankind Project. And when men do like we call it work, you know, like some process work, it's almost 90% of the time father work. You know, mm-hmm. dad didn't uh, believe in me, told me I was an effing loser, like you alluded to. Or he was absent, you know, or something. But so, so much of what our fathers, you know, model for us is becomes, we take messages from that about our own value as a person. And those messages that we write, whether we're three years old, six, nine, 12, or whatever, they stay with us our whole lives. And so it might have been that Mo was, you know, getting a sense of, because because the message Mo got from his father and from his family initially when he got into golf is that who do you think you are? Mm, it's a rich man. It's a rich man sport. It's all of you, that. You, yeah, you, you don't you know you don't fit in here. You know yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who do you think you are? And you know, there's even a story, and I don't know if it's uh, you know uh, apocryphal, aka you know untrue, is that. Uh, his father buried his clubs underneath the stairs or something, and Mo had to dig them. Well, out. Mo you said know? that you know now Mo, you know 
Mo says that. I mean, we have, we have. Yeah, I know. I, 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 you know, through Mo. And like I said, I was saying earlier, yeah. you have to take some of these things, you know, it's like Mo said that what, remember what Mo would say, but the club face is square to the, the target 22 inches after impact. No, it wasn't. Well, well, when <laughs> it comes he, to a swing, like, like no one has to deal with this more than me about a swing. Like I, <laughs> I literally every day, People are yeah. saying Mo said this, and I'm like, okay, okay, but but hang on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I re- I researched it, I dug into this. It's it's like feelings totally. and real, you know, all that stuff. Oh yeah, but back to yeah. just, just so let's just t- tie that up about Mo, you know, and his dad and what he had to prove. Yeah, there's a lot there. He did Mo didn't when I talked to Mo, we didn't talk a lot about his dad. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you can ask people about questions, and like they don't well, go there. What what was I don't know if we have this in the documentary or not, but I I do know and I don't know if it's an interview I did with Mo or if it's a uh, some other footage of Mo, but the, the, the story was that Mo left when he was what sixteen seventeen left left home. Do you, do you remember what his age? I think it was, was late teens because he, he didn't have late he didn't teens. have any yeah late teens because he didn't have anywhere to li- else to live. He couldn't yeah. afford it. And when he he went down to Florida, and when he came back, his father had passed away. So so yes. there was this there was this void there was this vacuum yeah. there because here i am i i, I want to come back and, and share this with my father maybe even prove to him that you know i'm having success and he couldn't do it you know there was a lot there and when we have these conversations about fathers and stuff they scare the shit out of me i mean they absolutely scare the shit out of me and the reason is is because think of a for the, first of all think of a fatherless world like like without a father right that's scary and then think of our influence as human beings, like you and me. You know, me being a grandfather now, you being a father. Are you a grandfather yet? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Well, there's no hope of it for a few years, anyway. <laughs> it's coming, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. But 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 God, we have such a responsibility as oh, fathers and adults, and holy shit, we need to take that seriously. And and um, and I think about because because I'm watching this conference, and I'm just like, oh my god. I go this, like you said, 90% of the, in the mankind project of the work you do is dealing with father issues. I have personally dealt with that. I know my brother has personally dealt with that. And I know you've dealt with it. And I know every man has dealt with that. And it's such an important healing thing to figure out. And if we don't, we, we inflict pain on the world and, and, um, or we, we, are we suffer or we just go through suffering. Just like, that's what I saw in Mo. That was a big that may have be a bigger part of the story that that we need to look into, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 both fascinating and scary as crap to me. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'll I'll try and be brief with this, but we even see it today with Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods didn't learn how to be a man from Earl. No. Earl was one of the worst stage fathers you can imagine, um, you know. And so that was the model Tiger had. Didn't have a childhood, basically. Mm-hmm. So. How does that manifest itself now? I still think that that Tiger, like a boy, doesn't want to take responsibility. You know, when he crashed the car in 2021, I didn't hear Ty, uh, Tiger talking about, yeah, I was driving too fast. and all this. He didn't really talk about it at all. And this mm-hmm. the stupid prank he pulled with Justin Thomas, he said, mm-hmm. if I offended anybody, mm-hmm. you know, and no, he, that's not the, that's a, that's what I call a Weasley non-apology apology. Yeah. Anyways, the point is, is what fathers, what strong fathers do is they teach you how to be a man, which is like, I take responsibility. Mm-hmm. I did it or whatever. And I'm going to learn. It doesn't mean you need, I don't even think saying sorry is that's, that's not worth anything. It's 
I take responsibility for my actions and their consequences. And that puts you, you know, a little bit more in control of your life. You don't actually control your life, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we really yeah. don't. But anyways, so for Mo, um, yeah, think it was I was reflecting when you were talking um, say five minutes or so ago. I mean, it's a complex story because Mo was one of the most complex guys we've ever come across in in sports. It, he really is. You know, he could do all this, but you know, like so here's a guy who became arguably the best ball striker who ever lived. I mean, that is not just fans like you and me saying it. It was people yeah. like Ken Venturi saying well, it, you know, Tiger saying it. So the best ball striker who ever lived. However, he couldn't mm -hmm. make it on the PGA tour. He, well, here's what's interesting. So yeah. Jason, you know, Jason, right? Jason, who's one of the producers of the film. Yes. And, and, and doing a lot of the editing. So Jason, so what's interesting about our team is, you know, you and I come from this background of, you know, I'm, I'm a professional golfer, you're, you know, you're a, an avid golfer and a writer and you wrote most story, but then you have Jason over here. Jason's a non-golfer and he's looking at this from pure storyline perspective. And, um, uh, you know, the character of Mo Norman, not from a golfing perspective. So Jason actually, in, for, in, in what we, what, and I didn't really instruct too much, but kind of the, the whole take on this thing was don't make this about golf, make it about Mo and the person golf's yep. in there because that's his identity. But, but anyway, so Jason kind of took this idea of let's not make it all about golf. And so Jason and I are sitting there and we're about an hour and a half into the, into the preview yesterday, watching the work that they've done. And, and Jason turns to me and he goes, so how do you think we should present the golf swing part of, of the film? And I said, I said, here's my take on it. It's a discovery. It, to me, it, Mo discovered something. And because of the way he was, because of his personality, because of his, the way he was wired, because of his, his ability to hyper-focus on something and his desire to get a golf ball to go dead straight. Um, he discovered something. Now, the other question mark I wanted to put on top of this film was, did he discover the best way? And, you know, and, and David Owen, who, who wrote the story of Mo and, and the Golf Digest in 1995, says, maybe everybody should swing this way. Who knows? So to me, it's another big question. And of course, I teach most swing, so I'm biased on this whole thing. But but it is this whole idea that this guy may have discovered something that just simplified the game and could simplify it for everybody. And again, I want to leave that as a question mark. But I thought it was interesting that that um, Jason was saying, now, how do we present this? Like, he didn't want to present it as like, let's get into technical aspects of most swing. He wanted to, I want to present it as this, this unique individual who was wired a certain way looked at the game from a different perspective, approached the game differently and then played it differently and then figured something out. And that's what we can all, that's what all the pros were like admiring. And that's what we all admired and figured out how, well, a way to get the ball to go straight and, and all that stuff. So I think it adds that other question mark to the whole thing, which I love. I love that question mark. Cause that's my, that's right up my alley. No, I love the direction you're going in. And I, I agree with you. What will make the documentary, um, the, the reason people will be drawn to it is the story of the man. I remember when uh, 
the feeling of greatness first came out my book in 95. Um, my, one of my, my sister-in-law who was not a golfer, she said she loved it, yeah. but because it was the story of the man, you know, yeah. and like, you just, the, the, what the challenge for a writer or a documentary filmmaker like yourself is to stay out of the way <laughs> yeah, and allow yeah. that great story to, to tell itself in many ways. But there are things that I think that are really worth noting. And to me, Mo, the reason I think one of the key reasons that Mo was able to discover this, this very efficient way of hitting a golf ball, I'll let you and others debate whether it's the best way, but Mo had no, he didn't judge whether it was the right or wrong way. I mean, you talk about mindfulness. Mo was always in the present moment. You talked about hyper-focus. So Mo did things, he stood in such a way and tried certain things and it worked for him. Whereas others, are, you can't stand that way. You can't have <laughs> yeah. your you can't have your right hand underneath the club like that. You can't have yeah. your feet that wide apart. You can't be yeah. bent away like that. Other yeah. golfers would, through their own judgments, wouldn't even pay attention to their own experience. Or preconceived ideas. Like he, he exactly. didn't have any preconceived I, ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sure you have this all the time. So I do um I do a fair amount of range coaching now. You know, we're on the golf course with people. And oh man, you'll have the person you talk to and they make a swing and go, Well, I'm supposed to do this. I'm like, Yeah. Oh god. Really? Who says? Daily. Well, uh all the guys on YouTube or something. I'm like, dude, um, what I'm trying to say to them is your pay attention to your experience, to what you feel and what happens for you. And you see, and I think that's what Mo did. Mo did not pay attention because because the one of the things that happened to Mo all the time when he first started coming out and playing you know, in invitationals and events in Ontario, people would look at him and go, they just want see how we, he would stand there. You know, wide, arms straight, legs straight, head tilted back, all this. And they go, well, you can't play that. A good player doesn't hit like that. And then Powie hit the ball. Powie hit the ball. And like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, what are we seeing here? One thing, one thing that, and this is interesting, and in, in that I saw, like, God, anytime I watch Mo and I see him, I just see different things. I mean, it's just like watching a movie. You kind of catch different things. Yeah. Obviously, you and I would would agree that Mo was very tuned in to his feelings, maybe more than anybody. That's why he could sit and, and basically tune into maybe his golf swing, but he was just, but what I found when I watched him explain himself, whether it was him describing, talking to Lauren Rubenstein or describing something, there was this, there was this level of vulnerability that always comes out in him. It's, it's like he was, he's all, he was willing to share the vulnerability very quickly. Which I found interesting, which meant that there's like this filter's gone, like this this wall is down. It's like he's like, yeah, I just you know, I, I didn't feel good. Why, my, why didn't you stay around for the tournament? And why did you walk off? Because I, I didn't feel like I felt fit in. He did. I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. You know, he would just go into this vulnerable. Like you and I would probably have a hard time admitting that. We'd probably say, oh well, you know, I had stuff to do. You know, but he was like, I just didn't feel like you know, I didn't, you know, yeah. and um, and I just found that he was willing to share his vulnerability. And I don't know if he was always like that. But in the in a lot of the footage, I really loved that part of Mo because he was like, I just, I just didn't feel right. I just, you know, it just, I couldn't do it because I mean, I just felt bad. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting how vulnerable he 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 gets, and he's willing to share that. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Unashamed that I just, you know, it just wasn't well, me. You know what? You know. Well, I think it gets back to kind of what I was talking about earlier. Mo didn't have this sense that he needed to to meet expectations. I mean, outside of the golf course, yes, he was so uh, self-conscious of the way he spoke uh, and, and the way people would react to him uh, that he basically stayed away from them. But with the golf stick, <laughs> that was just, he was just who he was. He would just be, yeah. it's just who he was. And one of the things that Lauren said, uh, he said, Mo was a man without guile. So Mo wouldn't Mo wouldn't um, ever mislead you, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or he wouldn't tell Mo didn't tell lies, and mm-hmm. Mo would he just didn't have that <clears throat> part of him in it because he wasn't trying to overcome something. He wasn't trying to make you think that he was something he was not. He didn't that didn't happen for him. And in in so what the the connection I'm making is that when Mo swung a golf club, he was he was present and authentic to his experience and Mm -hmm. he didn't feel the need to come up with a story to show that you know he was overcoming like oh they don't want to know i don't want them to know that i'm i was nervous or shy or i didn't know what to say so no he would just say that's what would happen for him because he was just this direct so yeah i mean you said earlier innocent yeah yeah the all things like that. And that's part of what I think was the, uh, a phrase I've used often is the beauty of Mo. He was like a straight arrow in life and, and, and that, but that worked for and against him. There was a playfulness about him too, where, oh, yeah. and this is, and this is <laughs> where, this is where it gets interesting to me because, because, okay. So here you have a guy who, knows he doesn't fit in but he's supremely confident when he gets on the golf course but he's willing to in the middle of a tournament hit off tees hit off coke bottles do this crazy antic stuff to draw attention to himself right lay down in the fairway because it's going too slow you know (laughs) all the stories and it's like okay this is where i get to the point did he bring it on himself like like okay listen you know where's the where's the buffer where that's not accepted and, you know, people, people are always saying, well, you know, well, you know, you've said it and he, he got basically, basically he got shamed off of the tour because of his behaviors. Well, you know, I can't go lay down. I can't go play a PJ tour event and lay down in the fairway and win a slow play. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> gotta be some rules here, you know? Yeah. So while, while I love that about Mo, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it's freaking hilarious and I love it. And I think, I would have been a big fan of his, you know, uh, if I was watching him play in tournaments, I would have followed him everywhere because I want, I'd want to see this stuff because entertainment is everything to me. Cause it's, that's what the game is. And he saw it that way. He saw mm-hmm. golf as an entertaining thing is what, why is everybody so serious out here? You know? So, but he did bring it on himself. You know I mean? But it, Mo it, had a lack of awareness, which you see in children. Yeah. See, children will just play. True. And you know, that's my truck. <clears throat> Grig it back. You know, not him. So, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe Jim wants to play with my truck and I'll let Jim No, There's just, there's lack of consciousness of, of awareness of your impacts on others. And so Mo was in many ways, just 
I think that led to what you talked about, his vulnerability, the straight arrow part of him. And it's just, it was fun. He'd just go with it. Yeah. I mean, that was like, and he would, but that would go the other way too. When he would get angry, he would go off the charts. I mean, Mike right. Martz, uh, uh, who was one of Mo's best friends, he said it was always bought. If you saw Mo and Mo's eyes would be all red and he goes, oh my God. And he's got to, you know, quiet Mo down or get it simmered down. I remember, I forget who it was. It was a golf professional in um, around the greater Toronto area. And Mo would go around and visit his friends and, and his golf professional friends. Um, so he went to this one golf course and he's sitting in, in the golf shop. And I think it's, um, I forget exactly what the story goes, but it was either a relatively new course or something, or Mo hadn't seen it before. And the members come in, hey, Mo, what do you think of our golf course? Ooh, go ranch, go ranch. Terrible, <laughs> terrible. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. And, you know, the golf professor's going, whoa, whoa, Mo, Mo, Mo. You know, it's just, oh, it's terrible. Oh, my God. Whoever. <laughs> yeah. That you had to be in jail, whoever designed this thing. Had to be careful. It was funny because um, when, uh, well, I told you, and like I haven't shared this story very much, but it's, you know, but when Fox came to interview Mo, they sent a reporter down and we were in Titusville, obviously, at the course. And we we're sitting around this table and Mo would talk to this reporter because, because the guy was Mo, you know, Mo, if Mo didn't, if you didn't ask the right questions and Mo, immediately picked up on the fact that you didn't have a clue about the game of golf. You, he was going to cut you off. So okay. this reporter starts asking these questions and they were, you know, pretty, you know, pretty non golf educated questions. Mo, do you like In the name? Game of golf? No yeah. doubt. Yeah. And so I started asking questions. Now I'm sitting off camera and then he would ask the question and Mo would answer it. So I became like this, it was like this ping pong match of asking questions and, and ball would bounce one way and Mo would ask the question and look like he was asking. So we get through this interview and um, they said, well, we want some film of Mo eating, going to eat. So we walk, we go, we take off to Shoney's, which was Mo's place where he could eat a buffet. And so we walk in there. Scary person he was in buffets. Yeah. He was, he was like, you've been here four hours. So, (laughs) so, so we walk in there and, and we're sitting there. And it was just awkward because the camera crew was trying to show Mo in his solitude. And I was walking by Mo and they made me kind of wait back and Mo's looking for me. It was just a weird deal. But we sit down and Mo makes one trip through the buffet line and he's sitting there eating. And, he's, you know, he's sitting right next to me to the right. And so he, he has to get up to get some more. So he comes back and he gets some more. Stuff. And he's got like macaroni and cheese and piles of burgers. And it's just this plate. And he gets about halfway through the second plate. So he's, he's just sitting there. And the waitress comes over and she's kind of a heavy set lady. And she says, Hey honey, um, can I grab that plate? Are you done? And he, and he says, yeah, I don't want to be fat like you. That's what he says. And and so we just kind of just melted under the table. Like it was just kind of like this, Oh God. And, and, but, but it was just that, it just, it was just that it's just like, it's it's like a 10 year old. Like he didn't know what he said. He didn't know he said he didn't have that didn't have that like i hope i don't hurt somebody's feelings uh part that buffer was gone you know and so we were never there so we so what you spent your time doing which i did a lot when i was around mo i I cleaned up behind him all the time you know you had to clean up you know you had to play the cleanup crew and go back to i'm sorry you know my buddy just 
you just kind of like that, you know, so that's fine. You know, what a bubble, you know? And so you just kind of you know, give her an extra tip and tell her you're sorry and move on. And he just kind of did the cleanup crew behind Mo all the time. But I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that. Oh so. yeah. Or I remember I, it was cleanup behind <laughs> Mo, but it was also um, doing the pre-work. Oh yeah. Mo. Yeah. Cause yeah. I did, uh, I remember doing a, um, for CBC radio, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation up here in Canada. Um, I did a, a a radio documentary on Mo, and they wanted to get some like real professional uh, footage of uh, uh, audio of Mo talking and um, hitting balls and all that kind of stuff. And when we first got there, I you know I said Mo, we'll meet you at at uh, Carlisle Golf Course, and like, well, the CBC guys go. Mo says, No, I'm not talking. <laughs> Yeah. Why would I want to talk to them? Ooh. You know, um, no, I have nothing to say to those guys and they don't know anything about golf. And mm. oh my God, it was like for 15, 20 minutes trying to convince Mo that look, Mo, um, you know, the, he already trusted me. Um, but you know, they're good guys, they're gonna do the best. And Mo, I'm gonna make sure that it's you know what they what they have is is good. And I had to do the same thing with uh uh CBC TV when they did a documentary on Mo as well. And, um, Oh God, that was just so, but didn't you have the story of, Oh goodness. Remember the story you told, um, about, uh, natural golf. And I think they set up these, Oh yeah. The this, this shoot with the bleachers and everything. Why don't you oh, tell yeah. that story? Well, no, there, there's, so there's two, two clinics that I did with Mo that, so the first one was every year at the PGA show, we would get together and invite people out to and this. At this point, we're on the 10th hole somewhere at a golf course and we invite people. Out. And there was like 200 people had shown up and we had already gathered around the, the 10th tee and we're waiting for Mo and Mo no shows. He just doesn't show up. I mean, time comes and he's there. I'm in the parking lot kind of going, where is he? And Larry Olson, the president of Natural Golf, comes to me and says, um, Todd, guess what? Because you're the one that's going to have to go out there and hit balls for these guys. Now, they're not there to see me hit golf balls. They're there to see Mo Norman hit golf balls. So I'm like, this sucks. Well, yes. well. so I remember Larry gets out there in front of the crowd. And this is what Larry, Larry's class act. He goes, Larry goes, you know, there's all these stories about Mo Norman that we've all heard. He goes, guess what? You're now one of them. <laughs> That was great. Oh, Larry, that's classic. <laughs> it's classic. Oh, good for him. And, but then Mo somehow somebody sees Mo at the show. One of one of our guys that worked for the company sees Mo at the show and just says, "Mo, get in!" and drives him over there because he knows the clinic's happening and, and makes Mo show up. So it was kind of like this: you kidnap Mo and get him there. <laughs> well, and and, a, and the story you're talking about. So there is a driving range called B and B. I'll never forget driving range in somewhere near Tampa might be in t- towards St. Pete, but it was down down towards the Tampa area. And they were opening this driving range. And it was this massive deal, like big event, three tiers in the driving range. So so Larry says, we need we, we need to film this event. We have a crane out there. We have we've spent fifteen thousand dollars to bring in a camera crew. We got bleachers set up and we go across I didn't know. Let me just paint this picture of me spending a day with Mo. I'm in Orlando most of the time. So I drive to Titusville an hour, pick up Mo. Then I have to drive to Tampa, which is two, two and a half hours. 
Then I got to drive two and a half hours back to drop Mo off. Then I got to drive back to Orlando. So that's that's a typical day doing a clinic with Mo because you know we don't. First of all, we know his history of not showing up at the clinic, so we're not letting that happen. <laughs> don't, don't let Mo get in a car because he won't show up. So we go over to pick up Mo, and we he's on. You know, Mo when you show up at, at the golf course, Mo would be putting around the green. He probably putt all day long. I don't know if he even hit balls that much anymore. He yeah. would just putt, putt, putt. You know, maybe play nine holes, but he just I, I always cut him on the green. And I walk over to him and I said, Mo, um, are you ready to go? He goes, can't go. I'm like, listen, I go, what's, why can't you go? And he goes, oh, there's storms, there's tornadoes. And, uh, and so Larry, now Larry's panicking because Mo's not going, we got to be down there. We got to take off. Larry's calling the, the crew, the camera crew going, cancel the crane. You know, I mean, we're just trying to just kind of salvage the whole deal. And, Mo just will not will not go. We have the van ready, you know, and I. So I. So we're Larry goes. We can't wait. We got to go. You know, we got to go. I'm like, oh crap! It's gonna be me back on stage again. So Larry, we're walking to the car, and Larry's on the phone, and everybody's panicking. And I go, let me give it one last shot. So I walk back over to Mo, and I said, um, Mo, do you know where I'm from? He goes, he goes Oklahoma. I go, have you ever been there? He goes, no, no, never been there. And I go, you know, what we have in Oklahoma that that we have more of than anywhere in the world. I go, tornadoes. I go, I know exactly what to do if we see a tornado. And all of a sudden, Mo just kind of walks over, picks up his bag and starts walking towards the car. And he, he puts his club in the clubs in the back of the car. And Larry turns to me and goes, um, what did you say? I'm like, I said, I have no idea. I really have no idea what I said. All I know is just get in that damn car and let's get down to Tampa. So, that was, so we got him to go. But then we get down there and he's, and Mo is in one of those bad moods. Like he's not in a good mood because yeah. like, you know, he just, he feels like he's being, um, he doesn't want to do the clinic. And so we're driving down there and this is the, this, I think this, well, there's a couple of other stories, but, but he would just, he was just always like argumentative about, you yeah. know, what he, so we get there and we pull into the parking lot and now imagine this 200 yard T box. And on the very far end of the tee box, 200 yards away, there's these bleachers set up and it's packed. Like there's radios, set, uh, crew set up there. The camera guys aren't there because we canceled them, but everything else is ready to go. Mo sees a bucket of ball. He gets out of the car in the parking lot. I'm grabbing a hot dog at the hot dog stand. Mo looks over and sees these balls sitting on the ground, <laughs> just sitting in the dirt. Like just there's a bucket of balls sitting there. He grabs his club, sets it down and starts hitting them. Like just starts hitting them. and so. The, the the guy who's running the whole show freaks out. He comes running over to me and he goes, Todd, 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 you got to stop Mo because you got to stop him because we, we get the, I go, hey, I go, here's the deal. I said, there is a clinic, Mo Norman clinic happening and it's happening right here, right now. <laughs> and so, and so all those people came over there and watched Mo basically hit balls out of this dirt and, and the bleachers no, didn't even use them, didn't even see them. Oh. And, and, and I think, would you? I mean, that was Mo kind of gaining control of the situation. Like, you know, I'm going to just run the show here. I, I, I'm doing you know my what? thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so again, the the beauty of Mo in a way, like, I mean, oh, the trouble he caused people is like, cause it just, you know, aged everybody. But like I said, it's sort of like you know, like like a child. You know, it's it's like a child. No, yeah, we're good. Yeah. We got to go to we got to go to daycare and it's raining. So you got to put your raincoat on. Don't want to. No, but you got to put your raincoat on because you're going to be so. So don't want to. 
And yeah. it's, it's the same thing. This yeah. this this absolute lack of awareness of of other people. And that's what made Mo sometimes, as you said, like cantankerous, you know, ir- irascible. And, and you would kind of go like, what the hell is the, ro- ro- the problem here? here? 